Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by that guy over there, Dr. Kenneth Brown. But Ken, we've got a special guest today, and her name is Lane Garrett. Welcome, Lane. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. This is, um, I'm really excited to have you, Lane, because this is something that actually indirectly I deal with in my medical practice all the time. And I have wanted to have a specialist like you on the show, but it's one of these more uncomfortable topics, unless you're dealing with somebody, as it turns out, reading through some of the work that you've been doing, it's so much more common than even I was aware of. And I'm probably missing this particular thing in a lot of patients in my practice. And I feel like if I learn a little bit more from you, maybe I can help. And the more that we make an awareness of this particular type of therapy that you do, which Eric is going to explain. Yeah, so let's do a quick bio and we'll get everyone caught up. So we are uh, really honored to have Lane join us today. Essentially, a quick run through is that she's a licensed professional counselor. She has her MA in professional counseling from uh, Dallas Baptist University. But more importantly, she works with survivors of sexual trauma. So it's, I mean, being a therapist already is somewhat of a specialty. But I mean, you're really honing in on someone who has a specific trauma and they're seeking help. Is that correct? That's right. It, it was really um, just a really cool opportunity at Dallas Baptist University. One of my professors was the clinical director at the Turning Point Rape Crisis Center in Plano. Mm-hmm. And um, I started my practicum there. And then after that was offered a position. And it's just been really cool to meet um, well, men and women. Uh, a lot of times we think it's just women, but um, I've had several male clients clients as well and um just getting to sit with them with their trauma and learn about it is it is so much more prevalent and even people that i've met um just dealing with anxiety or depression it kind of goes back to um, a layer maybe deep in the recesses of their brain that comes forth with um childhood sexual abuse i've seen it so many times now well so you said that uh you went and of course, acquired this education and were exposed to it through uh, DBU. So what we typically do with the guest is kind of figure out what led you there. So where are you from originally? Okay. And um, take us from there. All right. I'm originally from Georgia mm-hmm. and I um, taught high school history for 10 years. Yes. I always wanted to be a therapist, but when I was in college, my mama was ready for me to graduate. So <laughs> she said, stop it. Um, no psychology degree. So I did a history degree, which makes a lot of sense because um, you can do nothing with that <laughs> once I'm you graduate. I'm not just going to move lateral. I'm just going to go down a peg. Yeah, there we go. In my job opportunities. <laughs> so I could be a tour guide. And um, <laughs> somebody quit in mid-year at the high school. And mm. so I got the job and actually loved it. So um, did that for 10 years, um, got married early. And um, my husband's company moved us to Texas. Okay. And so we had, now we have four kids. We had three when we moved out here. And so I was at home for the majority of that time and then thought, 
what am I going to do when everybody starts back to school? So mm-hmm. I decided to go back to what my original passion was, and that's to become a therapist. So there, that was the, was that the first exposure that you had seen that possibly sexual trauma was something that would be of interest? Or did you actually encounter that prior? And, and then you were kind of reminded, hey, yeah, I kind of feel like that might be something worth exploring. Um, it, well, I think in college, there was a lot of things that went on. Um, there was so much shame when you're talking about sexual, um, assault, Mm -hmm. um, pornography, any of those things. And people just don't want to talk about it. And I remember when my, um, professor, Dr. Cawthon was like, you should come and work with us. I was like, absolutely not. I, I can't, I don't think that I would be good at that. I don't think I could sit there I don't understand and it just really opened up my eyes to um, the connection that people need and just the safety of telling their story and supporting them in things that happened that they didn't ask for. You bring up the shame and of course we'll get into what your practice looks like but would you say that the shame comes from possibly people not recognizing that they aren't alone? Yes. Absolutely. They feel alone and isolated and they in their minds, they're trying to figure out why. And so you take a lot of that blame on yourself that, well, maybe I caused this in some weird way. And so that shame keeps them you know, isolated and their mouths shut. So when we can get them to come out and, and not, you know, I mean, in a safe environment, talk um, and be vulnerable about it, their brain can then process and we can stabilize and move forward. Okay. So let me, when we're talking about this, you went over and you said that you started at the rape crisis center. Mm-hmm. One of the things that dawned on me when I was doing a little bit of reading about this is that my definition of rape and what is actually sexual trauma and what is perceived as traumatic, that really changes a whole lot with each individual experience. Yes. And so with people that are listening right here, as we're talking about this, there's a lot of things that happen to people. And so I guess what I want is to have you describe the percentage of people that actually are affected by the overarching feeling of some sort of sexual assault and then maybe discuss like where Mm -hmm. it comes to because when we talk about the rape crisis center i think of a violent attack with a stranger that's out there but it's Mm -hmm. not quite like that is it no it's not i'm glad that you asked that because that's one of the misconceptions i had when i started there and i was um i was at the rape crisis center for um almost three years and i had one Um, intake that I did with a client that was assaulted by someone she didn't know. Everyone else they knew. So, I mean, that's what I I don't know. One that did not know she was drugged in a club um, and then raped. But everyone else knew um, their their attacker attacker in some way, shape, or form, some kind of relationship. Um, So, I mean, it's a staggering number. And another piece that we don't talk about a lot is incest. We had a lot of people that came through our clinic um, that were assaulted by parents, uncles, um, aunts, um, cousins, siblings. Um, And so that's a great amount of shame that's going to affect the family. The family sometimes tries to deal with things on their own. um, And then that 
the survivor is left well dealing with it on their own and not able to process and thinking that they you know caused the you know whatever to happen so we created um an incest support group where we had people come in and the first semester that we did it we had 17 people that came wow. and met every week for about we did about a semesterly model about eight weeks um where they would come and where you establish this, just so I get an idea, what, what is the population that you're serving? Um, well, it's 13 and up, men and women. I'm, so sorry, what, I mean, I'm sorry, basically what I'm trying to decide mm-hmm. is like, is this middle of Manhattan, New York City, densely oh, populated? or It's here in Texas, North Texas. So North Texas, so not yeah. like a no. super urban, Mm-mm. yeah, which yeah. just kind of shows the yeah. gravity and the, the extent of this. Right. Yeah, without question, and and just for clarification, when you say incest, this is always predatory incest, though, right? Not mm-hmm. you're not just counseling people who have consensual relationships between each other. Well, with incest, I mean that's a blood relative, right? So that yeah, it it would definitely be predatory. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just mm-hmm. not that not that somebody who would consent to doing that yeah. would come and seek. Science. I was just making sure that we had that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just predatory by somebody who happens to be a rogue boyfriend or a husband who's happened to take advantage of his right. wife or mm-hmm. just a, just a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, well, tell us a little bit about how much of it constitutes women, how much of it constitutes men. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. I believe in the state of Texas, Texas, the st- statistics, sorry, is, um, nine out of 10 are women and it's one in six are males in the state of Texas that have been sexually assaulted. Nine out of ten, so ninety percent of women have been sexually assaulted. Mm. Uh, no, or of the, the people that of the people. Yes. Okay. Of the people. Yeah. Yes, okay, sorry. Good. No, 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 that's fine. But one out of yeah. six. We don't we don't do good math on the show. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm a therapist. Sideways, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> for sure. No, that's well, that. The, but those are still pretty staggering numbers. So you could say Absolutely. you could safely say that one out of out of six males has experienced some level of sexual trauma. Now, what all what all does that include with males? I mean, it's already kind of strange to think of in that Mm -hmm. realm that's not normally a way that people envision a sexual trauma victim so Mm -hmm. what happens with these well if they're assaulted by other males Mm -hmm. um sometimes when groomed at younger ages with pornography Mm -hmm. um and other explicit activities um it's harder to track with the males um because there is not i mean they're not going to come maybe not as they don't feel as comfortable coming sure. forward, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, um, when we do, and it's harder to find male support groups, um, it's really a need. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had clients in the past where it would have benefited them greatly just to be around other people that they connect with. They really understood their, their challenges and there's not a group near us or and well since covid it has been um there are more virtual groups so that has helped but before that it was i mean unless they were going to drive very far it was hard to find so number one i'm glad that y'all provide that service it kind of feels like that maybe the hard part for someone who wants to open up about a traumatic experience is what is it going to be like when i go in here mm-hmm. so Kind of walk us through whenever you have, and maybe it's different between female and male, but what is it like if you happen to be a young person or even an older person and you happen to be male or female and what it's like to encounter a, a therapist like yourself and what one 
two and three visits kind of look like? What does success look like? Okay. Um, well, basically, they'll come in and we, I mean, we, we hit the ground running. We want to know, you know, what's the presenting issue. Um, a lot of times that can be, it just depends on how well they, they feel connected. If you have a person that comes in with a lot of anxiety um, that's very hypersensitive um, to what's going on, you have to calm them down first, like grounding activities. Um, something I like to do is the five senses um, What's that? You know, like, um, um, what what are five things you see? Mm-hmm. What are five four things that you feel? Three things that you hear? Two things that you smell? One thing that you taste? So you're just kind of um, jarring them back into okay, here now in this moment because um, people who've um, been through a complexity of traumatic events um it it can be hard for them to stay present in the moment because they don't know what their emotions are going to do if they come into my office will they be able to handle what they're going to feel what's going to happen they they feel like they're going to be out of control and with an emotion what we want to teach them is okay this emotion is going to hit yes it's going to suck we're going to be in it we're going to ride it through like a wave and then it will, it will be over, mm-hmm. but you just have to, they have to see that and practice that so that they can, you know, see that they can be in control. So the first couple of sessions, of course, is getting background information and I don't, you know, they can tell me as little or as much as they want to. There's no need um, for them to have to go through all these traumatic details again. Um, and then, work on grounding techniques, making sure that they can regulate themselves so that we can process um, their trauma. Do you kind of observe whenever they're able to do that before you get into the therapy tools that there's like a a relief of of being accepted that they've got this story? Yes, Um, because if you, I think one of the most important things about therapy is a therapeutic relationship. If you can connect and they feel safe, then they're going to be vulnerable. Sure. You know, and you have to create a safe space of no judgment and just trying to help them see that there is hope. There is a new future. Um, we can't change what happened. And it was, and we validate that was, you know, that's a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. You did not deserve that. You did not cause that. But where are we going to go now? So I love this idea of the grounding when you come in because I'm trying to envision myself that I'm in a waiting room or I'm sitting in the parking lot waiting to go up. And I know that we're going to talk about this thing that I try and run from all the time. And you coming in and saying, be present with me here. You're safe with me. We're not even going to get to that traumatic thing until you're comfortable with me. Right. I think that's super important for someone that's wrestling with this because if i'm out there saying i don't want any kind of trauma we're talking our veterans we're talking anybody that's been through any even the loss of a loved one that the memory triggers these emotions but what you're teaching them is a mindfulness technique right off the bat Mm -hmm. i love that yeah absolutely because if we go in and overwhelm their system then they've shut down and they're going to feel worse and then we're we're just not going to make any progress well, one of the long-term therapy tools that, and I think that you've even referenced it before you arrived here today, that I think trauma therapists are, are really well-versed in is EMDR. Yes. So can you kind of explain? Before we get to that, because yeah. that's stuff I'm really interested in. Okay. Oh, sure. Okay. I want to ask, how does somebody find you first? Okay. So you you have a practice here. So for instance, I'm listening to this and... 
I feel like possibly I could benefit from some of these things as we get into the therapy because we're going to get really deep into this, which is really cool because it's science-backed. Um, like, when does somebody find you? How do they find you? Well, I have a website that I'm kicking off. I'm, I'm just going out on my own. Um, well, this month, I mean, today. August. <laughs> not yes. today, but this and, fall. And, and not necessarily <laughs> so, just the details of how they do yeah. it, but your clients. When, okay. like, basically I show up mm-hmm. and... What does your typical person say? I've, I reached a point. I realized that I couldn't, I can't go on. Like, like what, I, I'm just trying to feel yeah. that person okay. that shows up. Okay. Um, I'm anyone that is just look, they're looking for hope. They're, I mean, maybe scared. They, maybe it's a situation that they've never told anybody or they don't know how to tell their family or they, they need help moving forward. They, um, their self-worth is low. They're, um, panicking they can't go out in public anymore um it's hard for them to go to the grocery store um those kinds of things i can they can come in and i can help them um and they can find me at um cultivatehealing.net that's my website and um email me directly uh lane at cultivatehealing.net um and we'll get we'll started i mean in each each client's going to have their own treatment plan. We're going to figure out um, what the deep root is. You've seen those memes where the, the ship is going through and about to hit the iceberg, and it's just this tiny thing. I mean, there's always so much under the surface. Mm-hmm. So we have to get to the root of what's going on and what's causing um, their, basically their brain to be flipped out where they can't focus. Um you were going to say something? Well, first, for all of our viewers and listeners, we'll definitely have the connection links uh, back to your site and your email, all that kind of good stuff. But uh, when Ken was asking how someone finds you, mm-hmm. would you say that sometimes there might be someone who is close to the victim who just happens to notice they seem off? Mm. Yes. They seem like yeah. that they may need, because I think it's really interesting, it, it, beyond finding just Lane, finding help, Sometimes someone doesn't necessarily know that there's someone that they can turn to. So do you find that, that a loved one is like, something's not right with so-and-so. I need yeah. to get them to either directly to you or they go to a physician. And they're like, I think that this person needs yes, to go. Going to uh, your medical provider, looking, I mean, online, they're like the turning point um, in um, Plano has a 24-hour um, mm. crisis line. Um, if they have suicidal ideation, there are suicide hotlines to um, reach out to. There's, I mean, the resources now are at their fingertips. But when you're noticing something is not off, th- that is off, instead of justifying it away, mm-hmm. go ahead and start having the conversations and put them in touch um, with a therapist or at least, at the very least, the resources online. You know, kind of, in kind of a weird way, and I'm just thinking of a of someone that I knew in a, a, a long distance past, but they had once described that their relationship with their assaulter or their attacker mm-hmm. um, was uh, a, a family relative, and they were continually having to be around this person. Mm. And that no one really picked up on it for a while because they didn't want to draw attention to it. And of course, the attacker is not going to tip their hand that they've been abusing this person. What are some things that someone might could look for? Is, is 
is there anything that, that kind of stands out that's that there may be some friction with, with a relationship where someone's taking advantage of someone else? Well, any kind of routine change, mm-hmm. any kind of emotional change, if someone, you know, doesn't have an interest in things they they used to do, um, you know, if they loved going out um, to the movies and now all of a sudden they never want to go anymore. I mean, stark differences that you see. Sometimes, unfortunately, there's not going to be a lot of notice. Um, but especially, I would say, for parents um, with kids, you're checking their phone, you're in the mix, you know where they are, what they're doing, as best you can. Sure. I mean, of course, you know, there are things... Um, they're going to be hidden, but doing your best as a parent. We ran a parent group as well um, um, at the turning point where parents would come in. And they found out the information about children, adult children. So we saw 13 and up there. Um, but giving them tools, what to look for, because it can be very, it, it, and it depends on the person. It can be erratic behavior, um, very irritable, upset, mad all the time. Of course, that could just be a teen, right? I mean, like just a smart mouth. But it, noticing the consistency there of, um, you know, th- this change that something, it, it it's almost you feel it in your gut, this this isn't right. What's happening? Is something going on? And just starting to have those questions. And um, if I would just strongly encourage, just go ahead and make the call. Because once the, the client comes in, the therapist sits down, I'm going to be able, you know, to tell, okay, this is, we're going to be productive here. Or, you know, no, they're not ready. And they may not be ready. And mm-hmm. that's okay, too. They can always come back at a later time. But, um they, they have to be willing to do the work, of course, but sometimes giving your loved one a little push to get them in front of somebody is all they need. So being in gastroenterology, I think that there is a mind, well, I don't think, we know that there is a mind-gut connection, mm-hmm. and we do know that trauma can affect the gut, and we certainly know that sexual trauma is tied into the pelvic floor and all this. I was uh, a little bit shocked when I would have some patients I've had for many years and married and they, their child has grown and then a, they have a grandbaby and the grandbaby reminded them of childhood issues mm. yeah. and triggered and suddenly the gastrointestinal symptoms became markedly worse wow. and it's out of nowhere. Yeah. And I sat with one and I was like, you know, you've been totally normal for like 10 years and you're showing up and you're kind of losing your mind right now is there do you are do you have anything that this grandchild triggered and then Mm -hmm. that led to a a discussion and quite honestly i was not prepared for it because i didn't know where to send this person to actually have the conversation i found it somewhat fascinating that the grandchild triggered something in them that they had somehow suppressed Mm -hmm. i I mean so when you said that you know we have groups for parents that Mm -hmm. was something there yeah, definitely. Um, and that can, I mean, you. it could be, I've seen that a lot of times where a child, because something happened maybe at that age, and so they see that their, their grandchild, children, and it, you know, triggers their brain into this space where they're feeling those feelings again and not feeling safe. And so, of course, recognizing that, identifying that is the first step, and then helping them to stabilize and process that. We we have people that have been abused that don't they've 
repressed it for so many years, something breaks it loose, like a divorce, death mm. of a family member, and it breaks loose, and they can't, they feel crazy. And they're not yeah. crazy. It's just their brain has been protecting them, and they've been in survival mode for so long that now it's time for the healing to begin. Wow. So if it's cool with you, you want to move into kind of what healing and therapy yeah. looks like? Mm-hmm. Totally. Sure. So we, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but EMDR, I, I think that you had hinted that that probably plays somewhat of a pivotal role yes. in the kind of healing. Can you kind of describe that and then some other therapies sure. that you use? Sure. Um, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So we use bilateral eye stimulation or um, we have, um, we can use they're like little paddles that vibrate in your hands. So you're just um, connecting with both sides of the brain. Mm-hmm. So we, we like the eye movements the best. We can use um, the paddles. Um, you can, there's even sounds and lights and different things because you're, you're, connecting both sides of the brain and making your eyes move. Um, So what this does, if if we think of the brain like a filing cabinet and you have all of these things swirling around in your head, um, traumatic events, all these papers, um, it doesn't have anywhere to go. So with EMDR, when the trauma is stuck in the right side of the brain, we want to process through to the left side. So if we think about this brain as our filing cabinet, everything's swirling around with the EMDR, we can file it away where it's supposed to go. So it doesn't make you forget it's not hypnotizing or anything like that, but what it does is it's processing. So when you think of this event, that's so horrific and like, oh my goodness, this happened to me. It becomes, yes, this happened to me. This was a terrible event. So you, it brings it down where it's a manageable level. That's what we do with EMDR. So it's an eight phase process where we create a safe place for the person to go in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and people use different things like the mountains, the lake, whatever, um, so that we have a way if something does kind of break forth, um, we can bring bring you back down as we don't want to overwhelm the brain um, while we're processing. So, and we don't want to, uh, we deal with one issue at a time. Mm-hmm. And this is a process where when we're going through um, EMDR, it's not, um, the brain is, is working it all out. So it's not like talk therapy where, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask questions like, what are you noticing? What are you feeling in your body? We always do a body scan um, because we want to see where the body remembers. The body always remembers what happens. So sometimes they may be feeling something, in, you know, where they're holding that stress or that trauma. Um, we want to move it out so that they have that relief. Interesting. And of course, EMDR itself is a certified course yes. for someone to master within yes. therapy, correct? Yes. And you, and you go through a series of being um, through supervision mm-hmm. with that as well. Um, so you can do case conceptualization um, and talk about, you know, how to move forward with this. So there's a and there's a lot of different um There's different protocols within EMDR, like with addictions um, and and so forth, where you can specifically, um, you know, target those kinds of things with your client. It's almost always, I don't want to 
mischaracterize it either. That particular technique or its broad scope is almost always some kind of trauma related, though, correct? Usually, yes. Um, We can, um, it will help with, um, you know, anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression. We've seen that as well. But we can focus on traumatic memories as well. So I'm fascinated by this. I've done done a little bit of reading. Um, I wish that... uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot on this, but like if we had like a like a Kevin Woods PhD neuroscientist oh, yeah. to explain exactly what happens when your eyes are doing that. Do you know what's going on physiologically in the brain to allow that? I, I don't. I, I know that where the key to it is to unlock, or like where we want, you know, both both parts of the brain to be working and processing. But so I don't really know the physiological I mean, what, part. The best I can yeah. understand it is. It makes sense in the sense that you're getting the patient to focus over here. It's continual focusing so that your cerebral cortex can't do that thing. It's like, but I do not want to, hey, and then very you, the therapist, learn the techniques to distract the ego that's trying to prevent that from happening. And then with the help of a certified therapist that understands that aspect, bringing that filing cabinet forward where it's no longer under this hypervigilance of this the hippocampal don't yeah. get out kind mm-hmm. of thing because you're tying the brain up a little bit. It's just sort of like, it's almost like a distract. Don't worry. Just look over here. Keep your mind over here. Focus yes. over here. Now let's let that memory come forward. Mm-hmm. And then with a good therapist like you, then we can deal with it. Mm-hmm. If you do that much like doing yeah. psychedelic therapy, if you don't have a good person to help deal with the things that are coming up front, then the similar mm-hmm. things can happen. Yeah. It's just, I'm fascinated by it because it's, it's a, it's a partnered technique and how to work this through. Well, it's really kind of cool because I think that everyone, let's just say that someone is just fortunate enough to be completely well adjusted. It's not that they've never dealt with trauma. It's not that they've never dealt with loss or despair, but they're fortunate in that they've never been overwhelmed by their loss or despair or their trauma. And so they've been able to compartmentalize the, the appropriate way where probably something is, is hard to deal with at first. But then as time goes on, you learn to manage that, that issue. And what you're describing is the assault is so intense and is, is such an invasion that your brain is literally like, we're going to wall this off. Mm -hmm. This can't be dealt with just with, with really the tools that you have right now. Mm -hmm. And so you find someone like you, who's like, we can unlock this and we can free you again. Which is really amazing because that is a human survival instinct Mm -hmm. to keep going. But it also suppresses you from growing as a human and becoming somebody better. And somebody like you, the the, the sooner you pull the Band-Aid off yeah. and address it, the, the shock would be that if I'm somebody that is scared, that I've suppressed it for years, depending on whatever age, and you're like, there's no way I want to sit in that parking lot and be scared and have a panic attack and walk in and do this. Be like, guess what? Every year you put it off, that panic attack will be bigger and worse. And it's going to, it's going to kind of be a tough ride any way you look at it. But the sooner you can find somebody that fully understands it like yourself and says, we get this. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't worry. Come in at any stage of your, Mm -hmm. of your process. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head because it's like, you know, you think of a pressure cooker, it's going to explode at one, at some point if you don't start working and, and there, you know, you can work on pieces of it at a time, which is best kind of slow and steady, but, um, depending on the complexity with EMDR, you could, um, 
be complete or, you know, feeling a lot better, um, having more relief in, you know, um, I don't know, 10, 12 sessions, something like that, depending what, on what, what kind of time is. frame is 10, 12 sessions? Um, that's once a week. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So just depending on where, what your capacity is, what, um, what you're willing to, to tackle and, um, you know, there's some things I, I have clients that um, have, you know, years and years of trauma. So, of course, they're, I've seen them for a couple of years. But the goal, of course, is to meet the goals and not see someone, you know, forever and ever. So I think I think that's that's <coughs> critically important because and I love the fact that you said the goals. So if I'm someone who's dealing with uh, an internal problem or what have you. And I'm already skittish or I'm afraid to some degree, and rightfully so, to go and seek help and sharing the story. Part of that fear comes from, I don't want to engage with this and me not get anywhere. So um, what I hear you saying is, no, I've got goals for you as your therapist. So right. kind, kind of describe for someone who may be thinking. And it's done. You know what's going to suck is if it didn't stop recording, and that now that's going to be on the show. Okay. Well, I mean, we can all hope so. So tell Paul what just happened. Hey, hey, Paul, we're going to requeue from right <clears throat> here in just a moment. I'm going to reframe that question. Uh, we just had a little glitch there. And then I, I shouldn't stop recording, should I? No. I just, let, just let it go? No. Yeah. Weird. Ken can explain to you what he said off the mic, and then maybe that's the reason that the, that the computer went down. Okay. Better yet, Eric will explain why he laughed on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, sorry, guys, for the interruption. Uh, we just had a small technical glitch. But what I was asking Lane is that, uh, and just, just to kind of set the stage, we've, we've dealt with what it's like for people um, to have already have some anxiety to go and seek help. And they're having anxiety because they want to make certain that if they are going to engage with someone and open up, they want to know that they aren't doing it for naught, that they're, that there's a goal in mind. And you mentioned goals. And I think that's a fantastic way to look at, at really anything that's going to help someone else is having goals. So if you don't mind, just kind of explain what success looks like and what people should expect when they fully engage with someone like yourself. Okay. Um, for one, they're going to feel better. Mm -hmm. And ha having tools where they can manage their anxiety and their depression and um, just work on, you know, more focus in life, um, in making decisions, informed decisions. And each person that comes in, you're going to sit down and decide, okay, what, what is, what is the most distressing thing that's happening? Is it, you know, panic attacks? Well, that's going to be our number one goal. We're going to teach you how to stabilize your system, um, teach you grounding techniques or whatever it is that, um, we need to do. Look at what maybe it's the root, what triggers you look at those kinds of things so we can identify and, and work on those things. So you're, you're just going to feel, um, maybe I, I like to think of lighter and more connected, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, looking at the support system's a big thing. You know, who in your life um, can you connect with and do life with that's going to be there for you? And, you know, with your therapist, working on your harder things, but still having those people in your life that you can share with. So, um, I, and I think, too, it's important to point out, you know, going to a therapist if you're not connected and it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of us out there. You need to move forward and sure. see who you can find to connect with. I would imagine that someone who has experienced severe trauma like this, probably uh, they were vul- vulnerable when the event happened. Yes. So there's probably going to be an element of, can I ever get control? Can I ever get control of my scene? Is that, mm-hmm. I think that success might possibly also offer control over their, their choices. And boundaries. Yeah, Looking at boundaries. Um, Boundaries with the, your support system, with mm-hmm. the people in your life. We have a lot of people that, you know, are people pleasers, um, working through that. Um, especially when you're dealing with things within your family, it's hard um, to, you know, well, that's my family. I, I need to be there. I need to do this. But there, you can still, if you want, choose. I mean, it's okay not to have a relationship with, with family members if that's distress too distressing for you at this point. So making those decisions and then deciding what the boundaries look like and putting yourself first. You know, a lot of times I think it's it's just so much easier sometimes to put ourselves on the back burner and just justify whatever we're going through that, oh, you know, it's not worth it, but we are worth it. So when, as we work on these things, setting up boundaries, working on our anxiety, um, processing things from the past, I mean, we'll feel better. So you said anxiety a few times and we understand that one, but I'm thinking of a lot of other problems that people deal with and what they might show up with, or if somebody's let's say a habitual overeater. Let's say that somebody may have eating disorders like anorexia, bulimia, possibly OCD, addiction, all these other things are, those things strike me as a way that they're either consciously or unconsciously doing something, body dysmorphic disorder, Mm -hmm. both men and women, um, or, you know, extreme athletes sometimes get into those because they're basically trying to occupy their brain from something else. Once again, consciously or subconsciously, have you had people that have had any one of these issues outside of the anxiety that you brought up a couple times? Yeah, um, uh, we've we've seen a lot of disorder, disordered eating, um, um, attachment disorders, um, DID, dissociative identity disorder, uh-huh. um, just different, and that's their coping mechanism. So, of course, yeah. again, just trying to get to that root, what is going on so that we can process and help, you know, them figure that out. Um, with eating disorders, there's sometimes there's a, a lot of therapists that focus just on that, and sometimes that's a better option for them once um, we've identified where the trauma is how we can process and we are able to bring some relief but sometimes they need to go that that next step um same thing with addictions um we i do have some clients that um turn turn to drugs and alcohol um a lot of times if we process through the trauma that can help and lessen depends on you know where the addiction is so if they it, need to take that next step it's just fascinating that we're seeing eric and i did you know have done various podcasts on the whole psychedelic aspect of it but mm-hmm. it really just seems like the psychedelic aspect just shuts your brain down to allow these things to come up 
the therapy you do does it in the same way, just over a 10-week mm-hmm. period yeah. where it comes up. And, and they're seeing the success with all these other things I just brought up, mm-hmm. addiction, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's always an underlying thing creating the habit mm-hmm. or the manifestation, which we would consider abnormal. Mm-hmm. This has been a fascinating topic. I mean, I just, this isn't, um, I think there's a lot of different things that lead for people to not have either their own personal success on what they want in their own health or what they want to achieve or how they want to enjoy life or whatever it happens to be. But even something that seems like it was just a one-time incident could literally spill over and set someone on the track that they don't necessarily want to be on. And the fact that you offer a service for someone to really find a way to not only heal, but move on and, and build the life that they want after they encounter therapy and, and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's really awesome. I just don't think that that kind of stuff, I, I didn't know about this kind of stuff when you were younger and I was fortunate enough. This wasn't something that I ever encountered. So, yeah. And it's, it, it's something that I'm learning just recently because I'm asking questions now. Now I'm like, wow. Um, met some really cool people. We were just in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I met a wonderful person who she was explaining to me that her mission is to try and help because in the African-American community, community where she came from, there was a lot of um, premature sexual encouragement and things like that in this community. And she's as, you know, she's a professional African-American woman now saying, you know, I didn't realize that part of this and then that's associated with, then she started telling me about abuse cycles and things like that. And I went, whoa, I didn't even occur to me. And that could be in different communities. What could seem normal to you is actually something that probably is not normal to a young child and they should never be there. Even though you grow up and you go, oh, well, everybody was, you know, right. I mean, you know, it could change. And that's how come when I was asking about like, where, where does your patient pool come from? But it doesn't really matter. People that need help, it doesn't matter at all. People that can connect with you and you know, hopefully somebody's hearing one of these things and says, I would like to get in there and talk and it's okay if I have a panic attack in your office. Hope so. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to point out too, a lot of times people think, you know, their experience, they minimize their experience that, oh, well, this was, you know, people have it so much worse. They, you know, I have a friend who had, you know, something ter- really terrible happen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. I mean, everybody's journey is their own. And that the experiences that they have, regardless of where they try to scale them, it doesn't matter. It's what's going on in your own brain and how you're processing it, and your own emotions. And that's why it's important to, you know, get get the help that you may need. That's a really yeah. good point. Because I don't, I would hate for someone to feel like that they aren't worth the journey to heal, to feel better simply because they feel like that somebody else had it worse. Mm -hmm. If you're actually the support system for someone that you actually think had it worse, then you need to be just as healthy as you want them to be. It's it's the same thing. It's just like being on the airplane, you know, put your mask on first before you, you help out the other, you, you've got to be, you got to be squared also. Mm -hmm. I mean, as squared as you can be squared as Ken, Ken's pretty squared. I'm square. <laughs> All right, Elaine, I can't thank you enough for coming and hanging out with thank us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this and this great. is this is one of those things. I mean, typically, Eric and I like to joke around and stuff like that, but this is one of those things that I'm learning how prevalent it is. Mm-hmm. And I am have been, I'm completely unaware of how many of my patients, probably this is a conversation yeah. I have to have with. Right. And now that I have somebody that I can send them to, I'm going to be more open about asking. 
Good. Be like, look, and this is the beauty of having a show like this. It educates myself and Eric. Yeah. And I get to say a really disarming thing like, hey, this is really interesting. I had this really cool guest on my podcast. And it's something that she taught me. And I'm just curious because she said she's had clients that have had X, Y, Z. Have you ever had anything like that? Yeah. And just be that open. Because before it was like, how do you, how do I, how do I cross that step? Because there have been people, young teenagers that show up with different things where I want to ask, but it's really hard to sit there because the reality is I'm not prepared like you to say, let's ground first. Let's, let's get you in the moment. And then, Mm -hmm. but this allows the grounding to be like, had a cool, had a great therapist on the podcast. I'm just going to throw this out there because it's now becoming more common than I realized. Mm -hmm. Any issues? Cool. No issues. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Issues. What's her name? Cool. I'll give it to you. That's, that's where we're going from here. Yeah. You just please give her a call. So like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we'll definitely have all your connection stuff in our show notes on the website at gutcheckproject.com. Please like and share. And Lane is just now going out on her own solo practice. So feel free to share her name with anyone else that you feel like could use a very private confidential consultation with Lane. And again, do you want to go ahead and repeat it just for those who yeah, are listening? Full name, sure. website, um, all of it. All right. My name is Lane Garrett and my email is lane at cultivatehealing.net and the website is cultivatehealing.net. And Lane is L-A-Y-N-E. Right. Any social handles? Not yet. Working on it. Got to get there. Yeah, well, that's all right. I think it's a, it's socially, this is one of those things where I think the intimate email, old school email works mm-hmm. a whole lot better than, yeah. mm-hmm. than social personally, because this is, this is great. I, um, I've learned a ton. You coming on the show, I looked up these different techniques, super fascinated by them. Very impressed with just your journey yeah. going from history teacher to rape crisis center. That is a complete Wow. Yeah. And I want to thank you. And I see you helping a lot of people and making this a very normal conversation. And once it becomes normal, then it permeates and yes. people can go up and say that that was a weird thing. That's not right. And, you know, you can have conversations with your kids and all that and be like, hey, if you ever feel uncomfortable in any way, come over here. You just make it a conversation because now we're saying so many more people are dealing with this as adults than we ever thought. The more you can talk about it, the more that you know that there's help, the more that you can do this. So in a safe place. Yes, for sure. Thank you. Y'all just having me here and getting this awareness out um, for our survivors and putting the information out there, creating a safe environment. Um, and of course, um, helping me get my name out there. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks again to Lane Garrett for joining Ken and I, and please like, and share, and we will see y'all next time around. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.